you, my friend, have found yourself in the midst of the quiet reformation. Are you part of a church that is having difficulty seeing past itself and the Sunday morning gathering? Or perhaps you're involved in a Christian community serving the neighborhood well, but the internal integrity is lacking. Transformation and mobilization walk side by side together in our talk with today's guests. Welcome, everybody, to the Quiet Reformation today. Excited because you're about to have some fun. You get to hang out with some people who are real joy in my life. I know that you'll appreciate their voices today. We have joining us on the podcast today, Ernest Daniels, who is the pastor of Christ Community Church in Philadelphia. What you will find as you interact with him is you'll find a spirit that is both gentle in his pursuit of Christ, but you will also find a man who is a warrior for the Lord. He's in the heart of the city of Philadelphia in University City with a congregation that loves the Lord, loves the mission, loves to be about the mission, loves one another. It's a very diverse congregation, and uh, it's a church that's deeply integrated with the rest of the regional church of the city of Philadelphia and beyond. And we also have with us Phil Carnuccio from Providence Church in Westchester. Phil is a guy who's been at it for a while in ministry and in a number of different places and venues. Phil has a real heart to see people come to know Jesus personally and in that place, get integrated with the rest of the body of Christ and allow the body of Christ to be what it's beautifully called to be in a way that just becomes magnetic for others who need to encounter Christ too. His heart often is carrying the part of God's heart that just says, man, I just want to see that person who would otherwise not have any hope in their life or any meaning in their life or any purpose in their life, find the one who wrote the story already and is inviting them to participate in it. Ernest Daniels, Phil Carnicio, welcome to the Quiet Reformation. Ah, thanks, man. Good to be here, bro. Thanks, Tim. I gave a bio about you guys. If you have to describe yourself in like 30 seconds in a way that's like, this is this is what, you know, I'm going to give the elevator explanation of who I am. Can you guys give us a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, great. I think thing that I love most about your introduction, it was really intense. I mean, I, I felt like, who is he talking about right now? I felt really good about that. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but in a nutshell, man, I'm, I'm a lover of Jesus, a son who I pride in being a great son to my parents, married for 17 years to the most amazing, beautiful woman on the planet, Sharon C. She's the love of my life. My best friend, we've known each other for 23 years. So that's always a blessing. Father of three, I enjoy being a dad. Of all the things I love, I love being a husband, I love being a pastor, but more than being a pastor, I love being a dad. I love going home and my kids run to the door, break their necks to get the daddy first. So those, that is my joy. So out of all the things I love, you know, uh, being a leader, um, <laughs> being a father, being a husband are the two things that I enjoy doing the most. I love, I love marriage and I love parenting my, my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Phil. Hey, I trusted Jesus Christ in high school, Henderson High School, when I was 16. I've been married 31 years to my wife, Jill. We also have three children and they are all married. They are out of the house. 
I am chasing my wife around the house all new again. <laughs> it is. Oh, come I'm on. Telling you, no. I love empty nest. I don't What's know the anybody, rating on this podcast. Anybody out there is empty nest. I'm telling you, it is awesome. Um, I now am a grandfather three times. I cannot believe it. Uh, that's crazy. Loving that. Pastor for 31 years and um, planted Providence Church in Westchester 16 years ago. Our topic that we're going to be talking through today is about the mobilization, the equipping and mobilizing of people in the body of Christ to be present with the king and the kingdom in their area of influence. And I know this is like core for both of you to your philosophy of ministry and how you go after it with people. And so uh, this is for our listeners today. This is, this is why the guys that we have on the podcast today, I, we would love to have them on to talk about anything because they're just uh, great men of God. But, but really this topic fits in very neatly with the way that these guys go after church and the way they, they view the kingdom of God. And I want to start off just by asking you, Ernest, I know you, you and your team have been going after Bless Philly for a while. This is a campaign you've been going after that's been an exciting campaign. Can you explain a little bit about that to us? Yeah, um, Bless Philly really comes from the heart of scripture, Luke chapter 9, chapter 10. Here you have the disciples who are always interesting characters to me. Uh, they go out and they're bidding for, for Jesus and they come back. And when the message wasn't kind of reciprocated, the disciples had this amazing idea. Hey, let's, let's rain down, call down fire from heaven and destroy everybody, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, man, what type of spirit are you of? Like, when have you ever seen me do that? I know you probably read that somewhere in scripture, but have you ever seen me do that? And, um, and then you get to Luke chapter 10 and you see this, this new wave of the way we do prayer evangelism. And Jesus says, go bless and don't curse. So, you know, uh, Terry, uh, my, my pastor, man, uh, just had a, a great idea of what it would look like for us to change the narrative of Philadelphia. And, then, and instead of cursing what we see, how about blessing it? Uh, bless every person, every home, every highway, and just plaster the entire city with this idea of releasing blessing and not cursing the city. And it's hard for us culturally to bless and not curse because we're just so negative-minded at times. We see things and we we critique them, but instead of releasing a blessing, uh, we release a curse instead. So, so bless really, really came from and echoes the heart of scripture and what would like to change the narrative of what we see in context in the city of Philadelphia to bless and, and to not curse. You know, Ernest, there's a few times where I'm driving on the Google Expressway or I'm on 422 and I'm like, I do remember the Sons of Thunder really wanting to call down fire. And I'm like, I'm, I think I'm born of Elijah. You know, like I don't have some Mount Carmel action right now. I know that those create key moments for us yeah. to uh, walk in a different spirit, right? So there's the spirit that is in our culture, that's in our land, that, that, that wants to fight, that wants to go, that wants to defend ourselves. So when you are calling us in as the church to bless instead of curse, yeah. how do you practically ask people to think about that? What are ways that you might say to people, here's ways that you can bless instead of curse? Yeah, that's interesting. I think some of the practical ways that we looked at first is just interacting with others, right? How are you using your words? Uh, words have a, a ton of power. And when you speak, 
um, you speak things to existence. We have the same power that that God has. That every, everything that He said, He saw. Right. So coming from this mind from out of Genesis, everything He He, he said, He saw, and it was good. Right. So I'm um, having that same contextual responsibility with what we do with our words speaks volumes of how we represent and reveal God to the world. Mm-hmm. So one one of the practical ways we are like even engaging, like my wife and I, we go out to to dinner or to lunch. Man, we're we we believe in big being big tippers. We believe in blessing somebody and, and there, there are moments where it's, it's kind of God inspired and God ordained, but that's one practical way. Like every time we go out, we're not being stingy, right? If there's a big tip that needs to be done, like let's do this, but also let them know the kingdom of God just showed up to you, right? This isn't just some random act of kindness where we do random act of kindness, but just like what Jesus said, he said, when you guys were out there, I saw Satan fall like lightning, right? So this is, this is the response or this is the kind of uh, the after effect of what it means or what it looks like after you bless. I mean, just some tangible ways to speak well of your neighbors like hey take take a cupcake or or a meal to someone who's in need that's the way that you can bless and then when they ask you hey why are you doing this hey let's let's present the gospel message right so the practical ways for us to do it it's really just engaging in christian culture and what it really means to be christ-like or be christ-centered but just having some action in the process of really being the hands and feet of jesus that's so good it frames for us like a bigger picture that allows us to do very practical things, but has like that big purpose that calls us to like, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, We're not just trying to be obedient. We actually, there's also an end game here. And as you were saying, I saw Satan fall. I got this picture that instead of us calling lightning down, that we're calling fire up, right? Go. So it's like, we're calling fire into <laughs> the right. heavenlies, right. right? So it's like right. anti-aircraft guns. Like every time you do one of these, you got anti-aircraft guns that are set up to go after Satan to make him fall right now. So let's quit calling fire down and let's start shooting fire up. Phil, I have a question for you. I want to ask a question specifically for church leadership. When you're providing leadership for a church, how do you help cultivate the kind of environment that encourages Christians to bring the kingdom of God, individual Christians to bring the kingdom of God into their broader area of influence? The word that comes to mind is convergence. What I mean by that at a micro level versus a macro level real quick, I mean that people don't often see how their innate gifts and desires and education and talents can influence right where God has already put them. Mm. They don't converge. They think, oh, that happens when I go to church. No, 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 no. Kingdom right now, right here, wherever you are, in education, teachers, neighborhood, your school. Listen, it shocks some people when they come to Providence. And our goal isn't to pull them out of their areas of influence, right, that they're already in to get them to serve at our church. We often will ask this question, how can we come alongside of you? and help you use your gifts, talents, and resources to impact the places that God has already put you in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and converge it there. They often don't think in those realms. And so when we start to do that, it shocks them. When we ask them that question, what can we do to help serve you where God's already put you Mm -hmm. in your neighborhood, in your, and man, when you do that, that at a micro level and everyone starts to own it that way, wherever God's put them as teachers, as whatever, moms, dads in their neighborhoods, boy, does that make a big difference? That's at a, that's at a micro level. So on that micro level, when a person comes into your church, there's kind of an anticipation 
in some people's mind that I'm probably going to get pulled in to like mostly into church programming, mostly into the things that are about the church. But what you're inviting people to do is say the spirit of God encounters you, not just in a worship service. God has an interest in dropping his presence right where you live. And so now you become the channel by which the kingdom of God expands. Yes, exactly. And they're empowered. Now, as a leader, when you empower them, you have to release, they're going to come up with stuff that weren't your, they're not your ideas. Uh, okay. Yeah. They was never, it was never your thought. And so then you have to make, make a decision on how much control you want to have. So that's a big deal. in lead. when you talk about leadership, Tim, that's going to be a leadership tension Yeah. when you do that, because they will come up with ideas and thoughts to impact the places where God's put them. You, you said that there was a micro and macro level. Just real quick. I think on the macro level, the church needs to ask the question, how can we partner with our neighborhood as a whole to see this neighborhood develop? That we're not going to be the ones that come up with the greatest ideas. How do we assess with the neighborhood what an idea can be to impact that neighborhood? Out of that, as you know, Tim, came the West Side Community Center. Yes. That wasn't on our, like when we planned a prop, we weren't like, ah, we're just going to do a community center. We assessed the community. We looked at what at a macro level and we realized, man, we think the best way we can part with this community is start a community center yeah. that will give us an inroad of partnering with our community to impact this neighborhood with the gospel. That's at a macro level, church-wide. Before the Reformation, when the church was only, you know, kind of the, before the Protestant Reformation, when there's just kind of one church, the, the, the church is divided into parishes, you know? So we all work at this regional church thing where we're trying to bring all the congregations together to work together. But when the church infrastructure really still just had like parishes, it was based in geography. And what I hear you saying, like then it was each parish was thinking in terms of how do we best support and bless this culture, this region of this geographic area. And what I hear you saying is there's institutions beyond just the church. There's families, there's schools, there's all of that. And we're listening together for ways that we can actually perhaps embody what it is that Ernest was saying. How do we bless? If we're blessing Philly, bless Philly, that's a macro level of thinking about that too, which, which Ernest, I know you and Christ community are all over the place thinking in those ways as well. So I want to, I want to pivot and, and ask you, Ernest, you also served in leadership roles in the military. And so when you think about different kinds of leadership, what's unique about this kind of leadership in the church for mobilizing people versus other forms of leadership, and particularly maybe for you with the difference between what that looked like when you were providing leadership in the military? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Tim. I don't, I don't know if there's a um, a pinpoint difference. I think when I was leading in the military, like lives were at stake, just like if I'm leading the context of Christian culture, souls are at stake. When I switched the hat of kind of just leading primarily in the context of leading a church, there are things that I can't necessarily do or say, you know what I'm saying, when I'm leading the church that I could do when I'm leading kind of a, a platoon or a squad or, or a company. Looking at, looking at it from this perspective, um, if I make a mistake in the military context, someone could die. I mean, that's just the reality. Also, if I make a mistake in the context of leading a church, someone could die, mm -hmm. right? So I think both images kind of mirror one another, 
Um, it's just how you how you perceive them to be as I'm leading. I think one of the biggest differences is just the way we communicate. Communication is completely different in the context of military than it is, you know, a Christian culture or leading a church congregation. Uh, in the military, I can sit and yell at you and do all these other things. And I, it's hard for me to, to yell at one of my seniors in the church and say, drop and give me 50 because you didn't obey a command. I can't tell sister, sister, hey, sister Pat, you didn't do that. Drop and give me 50. Like that, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> I can do that to my practice or specialists. I can say that, right? I'd like to see you try that. <laughs> but, but I think, I think um, what I've learned or had to navigate was now how to handle and take care of people better in that context. There, there are more things uh, structurally that I can do in the context of military that that I have the liberty to do. And believe, honestly, it's having the same liberties, but not using some of the liberties that I can actually have in the context of leading a, a, a local congregation. You guys know that uh, b- before transitioning full-time into this kind of ministry, that I was in pastoral ministry. And for me, in that leadership context, one of the things that I found unique about leadership from an equipping mindset, from a mobilization mindset was that I was discerning the will of the Lord at times through like what's happening with you as a congregant, what's happening with you as a person in the church. So if you're a teacher, what's the need at the school? And that's helping dictate what what we're doing. And I'm sure that in military intelligence, there's some of the same thing. You're learning from boots on the ground what's happening. That for me, so so much of leadership was really about listening to what God's doing in and among the people who we're serving so that God can help us discern even the direction of the church in some ways is being formed by the individuals who are around us who have kind of boots on the ground. Yeah, that's great. That's great. For you guys, was there a moment where you had experience either in leadership or being a part of church where it kind of, it started to shift from the church is the place where you come out of the world and you come in here and serve. And it's about building up the church. And then there's the, kind of this moment where it begins to flip around and say, no, we're as the church, we're actually trying to mobilize people out, not just bring them in, but mobilize them out. Was it, have you, has that always been the case in your mindset? Has that been like you were brought up in that or did you have moments where that began to shift? Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in first. I, can I go backwards, Tim? Yeah, one thing that you just said about the the military versus church, and I think you were you were right on point. For us, it was you get orders, you do what's assigned in the order. When you're leading a church, it's like spirit led, right? So it's like there are orders and instructions that I receive, but if the Holy Spirit wants to flow and change direction, there's freedom to flow in a space where in the military it's like, hey, here are your orders, here's your instruction, you do everything to the letter of the T. If you don't, this is you're obeying a lawful order. And, and when you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's like, hey, there's some things that I, I'm, I'm, I'm keen on, but be open enough for me to shift at a moment's notice. And you have to adapt. And I, I love using the word bend to the Holy Spirit. So I have to bend and follow the wave that the Holy Spirit is leading. So I thought that was really key as, as to what you said as it relates to kind of those different, those different spectrums. That's so cool. That reminds me of that promise through the Old Testament that no longer... No longer will you lead them. They will each be taught by God. Yeah, like each yeah, will be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, to follow up on that that second question, yeah, I think my my church context was everything was done inward, right? It was like, hey, um, the church is the space where you learn, grow, 
Um, but there, there was a lot of emphasis on the releasing or sending out. Like it, there was a lot of emphasis on the ecclesia of being the church, right? So contextually, it's, we want to make sure that the worship team was good. The choir was staffed well. Um, the men's ministry was straight. All of these inner workings were developed. And there's nothing wrong with that if it's, if it's not missional focus. So it's like, let's worry about all the things that are inside. All of these staffing issues are, are kind of um, in place. All of the programs are in place for us and for our church. Um, I don't think that began to shift probably until I expanded my circle. I, I mean, community is so valuable in this space that we live in as leaders. Um, so without having a broader circle, I think I heard someone say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to change your friends. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times when you're the smartest person in the room, you know everything. It's like, ah, maybe I need to change the group of people I'm hanging out with. So as I begin to expose myself by the Holy Spirit to, to leaders who are bigger than me, leaders who have, have done it longer than me, leaders who uh, also hear from God with apostolic leadership, my 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 frame of reference begin to open up and see that the world is just bigger than the context of the local church and taking care of the local needs of the local context of a church. How about you, Phil? To be honest, Tim, it was a little bit of the opposite for the first 15 years of ministry, it was very outward focused, probably because of the evangelism. And then I had to stop after 15 years and ask this question. Am I just trying to make converts or transform disciples? So just hear what I'm saying here. I was so about people meeting Jesus. After 15 years, I'm like, I think I got to slow this down a bit because I just don't want converts. I want transformed disciples. And that doesn't happen fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was hard for me because I knew that that meant we had to do some internal work if we were going to be effective doing the outward work. Often, you know, Jesus said this, they're going to know us by our love. Can I just say this? I'm just going to bust on us for a second. Let's do it. The way that the church has loved each other over the last three years has been a horrific testimony to the world. We could say, that we should love the Lord and love each other. But in my opinion, internally, we don't know how. We don't know how. We don't know how to really, as Ernest does so well, dwell deeply with God. And we don't know how to love each other. And so I've had to actually do the opposite, Tim, Ernest, and slow it down a little bit and do some of the internal work so that we can do a really good job long-term on the outward work. Hi, I'm Emily, providing administrative support here at Netzer. One way we seek to equip the regional church is through church visioning and design. God has a calling and a purpose for each local congregation in the body of Christ. It's easy to lose grace-filled objectivity when you're so invested into the congregation right in front of you. It's helpful to have outside eyes on a congregation to help maintain health and perspective. Netzer comes alongside local congregations to bring that outside perspective. We help identify the unique design and culture within a congregation in order to equip the saints in the way God has called them to be at their core. Not only do we desire to assist churches in uncovering, recovering, discovering, and growing in their unique calling, we also seek to discover how that calling interfaces with the broader kingdom of God in the region. Email connect at netzer.org to find out how we can serve your local congregation.
This is good. You know, Phil, I, I was going to ask you the question of like, when we're mobilizing people to go out there and influence out there, what are the pitfalls? You know, what are the landmines? What are the, because we can, we can say that a church can get stuck very inward where we don't influence the world, where we're not expanding the gospel. And I think the historic picture of the church is that institutions tend to get pretty calcified and internal and crusty and lose mission. And then they lose fire. They lose energy. They lose life. Yes. Young people can't find purpose within them because there's no mission and all of that. For you, Phil, our listeners should know this. Phil started a ministry called The Bridge, which was to youth and young adults. And it just, it exploded. There was, there was so, hundreds and hundreds of kids, thousands of kids who are influenced by this. So when Phil's saying we went the opposite direction, that's what he's saying. That was birthed out of an evangelistic movement, which is not the, the traditional church model, right? That's, a, that's something else that was happening where it was kind of birthed out of that. And so then what Phil's talking about right now is, yeah, but you've got to have something solid yes. and core in order for people to actually be discipled and all of that. So now, and I, I think it actually be good for both of you, you guys to speak into this. I want to ask you first, Phil, when those landmines, when you're going out, when you're, you're going after the mission, you're seeing people come to Christ, what are the places where you see like, we're mobilizing externally, we're teaching our people to go out and be influencers out there, but what are the things that can go missing in the middle of that? Okay. Obviously we use our gifts in two directions to go out and the building up of the body. So I don't want to apologize for either. Like it's a beautiful thing, but I think the pitfall could be our activity. Our activity needs to flow from our intimacy and contemplation. What I mean is people can be so busy hmm. going out that they're not paying attention to their own. You know, they're using God to escape from God. They're not slowing down enough yeah. to be with God intimately to deal with their own internal transformation because they're so busy going out. That can be a pitfall and slowing it down enough to allow that. Um, the second people are consumed and busy with church responsibilities sometimes on the other end that they have no time to build trustworthy, legitimate relationships with people outside their church walls and their neighborhoods. That's a pitfall on the other side. So the question would be, how many really good, trustworthy friends do you have outside of the church context? That's the question I would have on that side of the pitfall. So I dealt with both sides a little bit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Ernest, you have any thoughts about this? Wow, that was that was good, Phil. The use God, that that was you're gonna hear that on my Sunday message. So if you tune in, I'll give you credit for the first <laughs> time. After that, it's mine. So sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, man, I'm, I'm listening to a conversation I had with a friend of mine about this very thing. He said, sometimes, man, as leaders, we get so um, overzealous about releasing and going that we miss that people aren't where you are yet. Mm. And sometimes when we, when we release prematurely, um, uh, we set them up for pitfalls uh, because they're not equipped. They have not saturated themselves, not just in the word, but in presence. And they haven't filled their lives up to the degree that the thing that comes out of them is the presence of Jesus. So for them, they enter into spaces where they're not equipped. They don't feel like they have uh, the tools necessary to do it. And they succumb to 
ideology. These come, they succumb even to the sin uh, because they're in a space that they're not, they shouldn't be occupying, even though they have the desire to do it, they don't feel that they're equipped enough to do it. So I think for, for me as a leader, it's like, how can we navigate a space with our the folks that we lead to ensure that they are equipped, comfortable, and they they, they have the confidence and the boldness to be who God has called them to be, not just in the context of church culture, but in the world around them. So, and so those are some of the things that I see that could potentially be pitfalls. And people, honestly, I've I've seen people fall away from the faith as a result of this. Yeah, leaving, going to a space where they have not been equipped, going to a space where they themselves have not been saturated, and they get contaminated, and they end up leaving the faith. So these are some real life challenges that we face that potentially could could look differently in, in different contexts, but the pitfalls are still are still the same. Man, that's so real, Ernest. Because I know for me, like as a young person, my my journey to faith was I had a I had a guy who dragged me out on the street to do street evangelism. I was in a Christian context, but he he was like, "Hey, we got to do we got to go out and share our faith." And I I remember thinking he was just like there was something wrong with this guy. Like, I'm like, that is, you're so weird, dude. But when he got me out there and I knew I was, I was terribly embarrassed because I knew there was going to be guys who I played ball against. There was guys who I would know who would be out on the street. And here we were going and sharing our faith and I was going to feel like an idiot. But while we got, when we got there, I saw the power of God just absolutely light people up. And I, it, and it was the, it was the, the moment for me when I was like, oh, there's something real here. This isn't just talk. Like there's something very real. And so the movement away from just church activity into this mission was the spark. And as a young person, that sense of purpose and mission and like the power of God moving is very inspiring. But then I think to your point, Ernest, if you build everything on that, then there's like kind of this like adrenaline junkie thing that can kind of happen around that where it's like, we're moving, we're moving, we're shaking. But it doesn't always work that way. And the fade of that stuff yeah. kind of, you know, and you hit some yeah. tough stuff in life and you have questions. And, you know, I know, I know some pastor friends of mine will say, hey, you're, you're not, this church isn't for you. You know, this is for the, the person who's not here yet. And so you're not, this isn't about you. Uh, this is like about getting the next person in. And there's a part of that that the church really needs, right? It needs to be shaken and say, we always have to stay on mission. But that warning, of the shelf life, if you build on that, the shelf life is limited. Yeah. So what does it look like instead of just saying you have to be engaged in evangelistic activity, what does it look like to together with other people be transformed by the power of God so that we live differently in all every sphere of influence? And that's the long game of evangelism, not the short game of like, I have a mission, I have a purpose, but the long yeah. game. When I got to college, I went after evangelism because of that thing. When I got there, I realized the very thing you were talking about, Ernest, was that, man, there was, there was integrity breaches in my own soul. I'm preaching a gospel I'm not living. All around me, I'm seeing people fall away. And then I'm like, the reason that we can't make major headway in the kingdom of God is not just because we're not telling the gospel. It's because the church doesn't embody it. And Phil, this is where you were saying earlier that the way we love God and love one another hasn't done the magnetic work of allowing the gospel to be so powerful. And I know for both of you, what that means is in your church community, you're not looking primarily to get people to fulfill the programs of the church. 
but you do feel that there's a deep component of internal stuff that's necessary in order to mobilize people well. And that's that we got to build this sense of we're a covenant community together. We're a family going after God. So in your areas of ministry, what does it look like to maintain a sense of covenant community, but still encouraging people to invest in their unique spaces? Like how do you navigate that thing of the the up in and out? I mean, the, the, the two words that, that come to mind right away is humility and honor. It is impossible to be in covenant with others if humility and honor does not exist. Um, there are things that I know that I do well, but there are things that I know that I need a lot of help in. But when I'm in covenant, people bridge the gap or they 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 expand on things that I'm weak in. Um, but together, we're better. We're better together because we're connected forever. One of my favorite statements that I'm, I'm getting in class on, we are better together, connected forever. It takes humility to embrace that ideology. You know, on my own, I, I could do a few things, but when I know I'm in covenant with community, then the sky's the limit. You know, so I think understanding contextually, what does it mean, as Andrew Murray would say, like walking in complete nothingness so that God can become everything, right? What does it look like to be, completely saturated with humility, but also live in a space where you're always honoring one another in community so that the covenant is a lot stronger and it's deeper and has depth and weight to what it is that you're doing. So um, how do we encourage that? Like, how do you, how do you deal? I think it was um, Craig Rochelle who says, man, there are five things that we do really well. The other things we outsource. These are the things that I do well. And I encourage others, you know, be the best you that you can be. And I'm not in competition with you because I honor the gift that is you. I honor what you're doing community, right? So if we possess or even are growing daily mm-hmm. in humility and honor, I think it's easy for us to occupy this space together and encourage others to be uniquely who God has called them to be, whatever context that they live in. I, I, um, I'm going to repeat just for a second what, what's, been, what's been said because it's so true. I really believe in our day and age, no doubt. The most winsome strategy to lead people to Jesus is a loving, transparent, Christ-centered community doing evangelism together. And I'm not saying they're going as a group together. I'm saying I know I can invite my friend into this group of people because this group of people is centered around the beauty and the love and the transparency just in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think we are at a time where community is so broken right now in the world. It is so broken. People are so hungry to be part of a transparent, they can't put words to it, but still they're made in the image of God. They're so hungry to be part of a transparent, living, moving, changing, missional, loving community that we have such an opportunity. And so we have to teach our people, Ernest, you said it so well. We have to going back to this. This is where the Lord keeps taking us, teaching our people how to love, how to be the body of Christ. We use emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships as a context, because I think the Schizeras are onto something, because out of that context, people are going to meet Jesus as they're invited into these communities that are full of, of, of the Holy Spirit. So I think we're living in a really exciting time. There is something about the backdrop that's always been part of how God operates 
you guys know the first three days of creation is God creating backdrops. And then this, the second set of three, he fills the backdrops. And so he's stretching the canvas. Then he's writing on the canvas, separating light and darkness. He's filling the light and darkness. He's separating land and sea. He's filling, you know, and the context we are in right now, the polarizing context of our culture where I can, I believe we can name three massive characteristics that are shaping us. One is that we are polarized and divided, right? So that, that division is just stretching things out. Secondly, there is deep loneliness and individualism that uh, is, is having people just like totally isolated. And thirdly, we are full of greed and consumerism. So when it's about I'm alone, I'm against you, and I need stuff. Then there's a message that comes in from a community that embodies, actually, we're, we're not alone, we're together, and we have stuff to give. That's the opposite. And so this is a great context in which we can see the hand of God write a beautiful story through his community. Now, I know for you guys, you preach gospel. Like you are constantly preaching, what does it look like to be loved by God, to have identity in Christ, to feel legitimate because of what it is that God's done for you? And then there's these practical ways that that works itself out. Can we then forgive and honor and reconcile with others in a way that makes this community something worthwhile? As you guys are preaching that, that's I know it's because you believe it's true and because people individually need it. But you actually believe that people who are transformed by that are going to be the transformers. Yeah. Yeah. Speak to anything around those topics that you guys want to. Yeah. I think the beauty, this, this idea of the gospel matches, come and see a man who's told me everything I know about myself. It kind of sits with every person. Right. So I think we all have like different stories and trajectories are, Similarly, yet different in context, but the idea of like transformation really like takes root in every person's heart. Like people want to evolve and change, um, right? That's just the uh, that's in us, right? You, you get a job, I want to advance, yeah, you know, I want to, I want to elevate all these things. So people are longing for for change. I, I think how can we whet the appetite of transformation in the lives of those that we serve? Um, for me, it's like I want to. I want to whet that appetite of what. It, what, what does it mean when Paul, you know, references or talks about going from one stage of glory to the next stage of glory? That there are levels of glory that we can experience, and not for our own selves that we can say, "Look at me, look at me," but look at me as I present Jesus to you. Like I want to be a reflection of yeah. that thing you just said, like the love of God, the grace of God, um, the healing power of God, of God moving, using one of my favorite lines, how God uses broken people to, to bring about his glory, right? And he writes that in the book, Stephen Frederick writes that in the book, unqualified, book called Un unqualified, how God takes broken people and, and uh, it, it's not a coincidence that Jesus is a carpenter, right? So he takes these broken things and places those broken things back together again, and then presents them to the world to, as, a, as a, a transport vessel so that God, Jesus himself, can receive glory. The glory isn't for ourselves. It's all for him. It's all for the king. So living in a space of, of what it means to be transformed and not just this kind of this one-off thing where 
we have this one experience, but but I want every day my mind, my life to be transformed by the spirit of Jesus. Like I want, I want these encounters, like these daily encounters where I'm being transformed to transform. Like if 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 the transformation in my life isn't moving me to the space where God is using me by the Holy Spirit to help aid in what he's doing in the earth, then I become uh, just a trophy for myself. Like I, I, I'm a trophy locked up in a room that only I'm the one that's benefiting from this, this thing, this wonderful, beautiful work that the master is doing, right? So when we look at transformation in context, like we are transformed to transform. And that message needs to be preached all throughout the earth. Not, hey, not I'm experiencing revival and transformation so that I can feel good about myself. No, I am transformed so that I can be a conduit of change, a vessel uh, to influence and impact the world around me first at home. Like yeah. you, you, <laughs> you cannot say you're being transformed if your marriage is being transformed. You cannot say I'm experiencing transformation if my, if my kids, my extended family, they're not seeing transformation. Yeah. You know, I, I'll share this quick story and I'll, I'll turn over to Phil. Uh, a man who passed away went to a funeral and the, the mom and the kid are just sitting in the front row. Everyone is grieving and the, the guy gets up to give this beautiful eulogy, uh, speaking all of these lovely things about this man. And at some point, the little boy looks at his mom like, mom. I think we're at the wrong funeral. I have no idea who this guy is talking about, right? I don't want to be that guy, yeah. right? So I get a chance to live out, write the story of my life, how it's going to look, how a life transformed by the Spirit of God, yielded to the Spirit of God, now transforming the world around me. That's how I want that story to look. Ernest, thank you. Can I double click on that word transformation that Ernest just went after in such a beautiful way? I don't think people know what to do to be transformed. And I think we have to help them. So what do I mean by that? We know biblically transformation happens through silence and solitude. Are you kidding me? Is that happening for the general person? Silence and solitude without screen time alone with God. God forbid for a half a day. What about a day? Uh, we know that transformation happens through confession. Deep confession. Because in silence and solitude, God reveals things that are going inside of me. And then I learn James 5. I bring that in community and I confess that to my brothers and to God. And there's transformation. No clue. Do people know how to slow down to read the scripture? Right? Almost an electo divina style to be with God in intimate ways. I'm, I'm, I think we have a little problem in the church that we have to pay attention to. And that is, Ernest hit it great. The best thing I can offer to my to the world is my transformed self. It's not to be self-consumed. It's so that I could effectively love well. You guys are a little younger than me. I'm 54. I don't want to grow up, keep, I don't want to grow up and be a bitter dude, all bitter, angry. I want to, in my 50s and 60s, love the abounding love of Philippians. I believe that should grow in us. But guys are losing it and men and women are losing it in leadership because they're burning out and they're flaming out because we have to help them understand what rhythms of transformation look like. Thanks so much, guys. I, I think this is so vital. And I think in those practices uh, that, Phil, you're talking about, the contemplative practices of being quiet, so essential, especially for leaders to, to work at that I think everybody needs to work at that. I think that another couple of practices for us to remember is personal worship. What does it look like to just be praising God on our own 
getting in a room, worshiping God. And, and, and another, when it comes to community, and this is a, this is a challenge. This is for us as pastor pastors that we desire for our people, where it's not just building the programs of the church. This is where we're trying to get people's lives to overlap in a way that they really strengthen one another, that they really help one another. So you're sitting in a room with another person getting real and they're empathizing, feeling the pain, not trying to give religious isms or trite statements to wash it away. And yet subtly through presence and through encouragement, turning our eyes to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you. And that's a, that's corporate you, right? That's for all of us, that we would be a people praising God together, worshiping God together, looking to God together, learning how to do that in a world that has given us every reason to do anything but that. And yet it's given us all the philosophical reasons to be self-consumed and therefore angry about our circumstances. But instead we have a God who's given us every reason to look at our circumstances and be grateful because we are being transformed from glory unto glory as we behold the face of Jesus. And so I just want to thank you guys for being those who are consistently helping people see the face of Jesus. I know that is the heart of you guys with your congregations, with the areas you serve. We just want to point them to Jesus. We want to pull that veil back. It's already been ripped. It's already been torn. So I'm going to help hold it back, put a curtain holder on that thing and start blowing whistles and pointing you guys toward the face of Jesus. Because I know that as soon as you see him, you will be transformed. And as the community sees him together, we together will be transformed. And then the world gets to see the glory of God through the community of God's people and then can also. So be transformed. I thank you for being a model of that, guys. You guys are modeling that so well for us. If you are a pastor and you are trying to understand what does it look like to be in an equipping model and point people toward Christ in a way that they can mobilize others, reach out to us and we want to help you think through that and we want to help you pray through that. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a great conversation, plus a great excuse to hang out with you guys. Man, my pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Ernest. Thanks, Tim. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.